Leslie, I have been looking forward to having you. It has been umpteen years since we have gotten a chance to catch up, but I just want to say welcome to the show. And for anyone that doesn't know who you are, how would you even describe what you do? Okay. So the best way to describe what I do is that I help people, especially women who are rebels or accomplished and smart, get out of the never-ending toxic relationship with food mm. and reward how they respond and experience eating and weight loss in a profound, sophisticated, and long-lasting way. So I really like this because like we were, were um, you know, just DMing back and forth and you know, we, we've known each other for these years, but I didn't know the depths to which you have gone down this road to just make sure that there's a really high efficacy, um, quality of outcomes, you know, uh, to be provided inside of your program. And that's when I shared like my background, nutrition certification, yeah. environmental sciences background, my dad's an MD, PhD. And so like, I have a lot of ties into like the health world. And so like, I really respect, uh, what you're doing. And I know, just from over the years, just the level of quality that you usually go to with everything that you do. And so I've been looking forward uh, to having this conversation. How can I help? Mark, you know me, like I, I'm somebody who has big goals for myself and I know a lot of your listeners do. So that makes it extremely exciting for this opportunity for, for us to have the opportunity to, to get together and talk about how to pursue this this bigger goals. So where I am right now is in my business, I've reached a place where I have a steady flow of really high quality clients. I have a very rigorous progress where I am screening, may, maybe even like hand selecting who I want to work with. All right. To make sure that there's a perfect solution and profit, um, no problem fit. So my coaching program has been awesome and providing exceptional outcomes for my clients, mainly due to how good it is and how careful I am when choosing who to work with and how much of human touch points I'm able to provide in the coaching experience. I'm doing group coaching, so it's, it's a group but also make sure that the people can get the support they want. So I'm at the place where I realized I can't, I cannot make a profound impact in the world by working with 15 to 20 people at the same time. And there has to be um, this point where I need to find new way to scale in the way that I can reach more people and help more people without compromising the quality of what I'm delivering. Mm -hmm. That's that's the main ask for today. Let me know if I provide, uh, provided enough background information or if you want to ask for more information. For sure. I do have more questions, and thank you for that. I Context, uh, just so that someone who doesn't quite know what it is that you're up to, I pulled this up on your website, and the... the uh, positioning that you have is lose 50 pounds left and right while enjoying tremendous yeah. ease and satisfaction, overweight, overeating, having self-control problem with food and don't know how to eat without restriction, 
while losing weight sustainably, saw them all with the weight loss and emotional eating coach, Leslie Chen, on Veal Magic in 14 minutes. Is that still accurate? That is the offer. Okay. All right. So, so that's what we're working with. And we have a client roadmap uh, that uh, I developed, and it's a nine-step roadmap, but it spans across three areas, audience, offer, sales. For most people, you know, I'm lumping marketing into sales as well, you know, and so just everything that it's going to take to be able to sell the thing. Now, those are the nine steps. However, there are three growth stages to it. First, there's establishing the infrastructure for your audience, for your offers, for your sales. The second stage is about increasing capacity. The third stage is increasing throughput. And so if we were to just zoom in on just say, for example, sales systems, first you have your sales infrastructure, then, okay, great. Now you want to increase the capacity to be able to handle more sales volume. And then great. Now you want to increase the throughput. With just that, are we talking about increasing the capacity of your group program, your offers? We're talking about increasing the capacity of it so we can let in more people. Okay. Uh, yes. But the, the key thing is here, the key thing here is that we, we don't want to compromise the level of influence we're able to convey to them, like each one of them. Okay. Um, By influence, do you mean the uh, impact, the, the <clears throat> client experience and outcomes that you're having? And also the human experience in it. Because okay. a program like that, a lot of that is actually depends on um, how much support they're actually feeling okay. that they're getting, right? Because it's, it's not like a recipe or a meal plan or let's say a workout plan where you can give them the saying that, hey, just do it, right? No, there's a lot of people, they're struggling with negative thought patterns throughout the years. And whenever that hits them, there needs to be this very strong uh, support network or support touch point that can help them pivot some of the key limiting beliefs, for example, so that they can get going. Okay. That's clear. What if we had to describe, I'd I'd like to, for us to turn, for us to increase the capacity of the program, um, I want for us to drill down and just outline a little bit more clearly uh, what the impact is that you have on that person and how we sure. get from what I call point A to point B. Sure. Let me show you. Yeah. Yeah. Let me show you what exactly is being done right now okay. for a client to complete the coaching journey and get the transformation that she needs. Uh, the program itself, logistically, there are a few components of it. First of all, the basic information is pre-recorded on the course website, and I, I use Kajabi to host the program. So it's like in a drip format, there are module after module, they just go in, right? That part can be used for self-study, but at the same time, on a weekly basis, there are going to be, there are currently uh, live calls, mm-hmm. one live calls per week, and each group has no more than five people in it. Okay. 
because I want to be able to just individually catch up with them and we can just talk in a right share in a very secure environment. But at the same time, on a daily basis, they're keeping some kind of like we're keeping some kind of accountability and support structure. Mm-hmm. It's very efficient. Each person only takes about less than five minutes. Mm-hmm. All right. So if you have only 10 to 15 clients, then that's okay. It's like less than an hour. Mm-hmm. But when you add up the number, the ability to do that will be largely impacted. Um, mm-hmm. So that's, that's another thing. Now, one more thing is that after the person has graduated from this three months, what I call immersion stage of the program, once a month, there's going to be one one-on-one catch-up currently with me. Mm-hmm. Well, this is because I want to make sure that they're flying solo very well. Okay. Well, right. When life hits them, there is still the sense of being supported there. Um, there's also a, a midpoint catch-up, which is one-on-one. Throughout the three months immersion mm-hmm. and a one graduation call that is also one-on-one. Mm. So it's a, it's a highly hybrid experience because you okay. have right online and one-on-one group setting conversations. Okay. So these are powerful features that help to unlock the human transformation of your yeah. promise. And there's, we're going to return to that because uh, it's helpful context what I'm curious about is how long does it take? How long does this sustain? How long does it take? Uh, the promise on the website is lose 50 pounds, oh. et cetera. Yeah. Yeah. So on average, over about six months, that is the number because I have an Excel spreadsheet that covers everything, the tracking numbers. Mm-hmm. Uh, especially because we touch base uh, regularly. So the number is that average amount of weight loss that we, we see in, mo- in six months mm-hmm. is around 35 to 37 pounds. Nice. Okay. That was pre-COVID. Uh-huh. Okay. okay. Let, me, let me make it very transparent here. And then after COVID, I made a small change to the program. So... For the meal plan part, I used to say, try to fulfill it, adhere to it 80% of the time. But now I'm letting in more flexibility. I see. Mm-hmm. Right? So the number, the speed of weight loss may not be there. But that's really not the focus for mm-hmm. my audience because what they want is to be able to be free and carefree and satisfied around food without overthinking while knowing they're still losing it. Okay. Progress over perfection. Okay. Progress and also the freedom because they don't want to be overly focused on that or obsessed Mm -hmm. with the number. Okay. Yeah. So it's a balance of outcome and experience is what I'm hearing. And also, uh, yeah, the, do you work with, is there an option for them to work with you longer than six months? Is it recurring? Is it into perpetuity or is it a set time box? I've got people who want to work with me one-on-one, and that's like a six-month package. Okay. But those are like influencers. They're able, and they they want to pay like three times more Okay. than the group setting offer. Okay. But for the group setting offer, it's, it's mainly like after the first three months immersion mm-hmm. and three months of monthly 
support. Um, they're, they're pretty much there. They don't, they don't need to ask for additional help anymore because they've already internalized and implemented everything. They're seeing the staying working like, like, like the clockwise. They don't need to ask for more. Okay. All right. So all of the questions, yeah. I give you a little bit of the inner workings of my mind right now. All of the questions sure. are around capacity. And yeah. so when it comes to capacity uh, and also delivery of the outcome and the experience over time, um, in this digital container. And so, so far we have six months to, you know, an average of 30 plus pounds or so, you know, over the course of six months. Uh, and the thing that I don't have yet is what is your maximum client capacity right now? I'm telling you, I'm stressed really thing right now. Okay. I'm working with 16 at the same time. 16? 16 right now 16. at the same time. Okay. And... When I say I'm stretched really thin, it's because everything, things are everywhere, right? So, for example, even though it's group setting, but you don't know, you have no control almost as to how many monthly catch-up you're going to have for mm -hmm. previous clients who graduated. Oh, I see. Right? And how many midway conversations there's going to be. Mm. And how many other type of things, right? And plus the day-to-day -day thing. So, I thought about outsourcing part of that. Um, so the conversation, the mind, the in, inner conversation is more like, should I remove part of those services? Are some of them really necessary, right? Mm. Or can I outsource some? But each of each of them have their pros and cons. But mm. that, if, to answer your question, 16 at this moment, and that's the max. All right. So 16 is the max. Concerns about uh, removing some of the features that uh, currently add unpredictability uh, to you, your client capacity and also limit your client capacity from your perspective, which I agree with. But also the trade-off of the course there is whether or not it would lessen the client experience and then also would it negatively impact the outcomes. Okay. Have you tested it yet? Tested those assumptions? Yeah. No. There's a fear one. of testing them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, it's like at some point, <laughs> because whether or not we turn it into a more scalable thing. Yeah. So for increasing capacity, right, there's really, there's really only two or three ways to do it. Either you're going to increase capacity with mm -hmm. more people. Yeah. Or you're going to increase capacity by re-engineering the system that you're using yeah, or you're going to, you know, we can actually restructure the system to just increase capacity um, or we can make the system like more efficient. Yeah. Like those are the three things, but all of those require change. Yeah. I think before coming into the conversation, I was thinking about this question. Um, do I have to give something in order to get something right? I, I think the, the answer is for sure. <laughs> Now the question is which part to give, <laughs> which mm. part to sacrifice. Um, and I, I, I hear you completely. You're talking about testing because that's the thing you probably won't know unless you test it. Yeah. That said, there are ways to make tests less risky. Okay. So you don't have to change things for your existing clients. 
you can actually test it with new people who are coming in. And yeah. until you get the data points back from the new cohort of people in the more scalable model, that will then give you the data points that you need to then go back to the existing clients and say, hey, we've already tested this thing over here. They're getting the same outcomes. We've also tracked the client experience and they're reporting that, hey, it's actually matching or maybe even exceeding what you're reporting right now. They say it's better. Do you want to join? I like that idea. Now I have a question for you. Sure. How, in your experience, how does that impact pricing? Mm, good question. So price is often a reflection of value. And before we decide what to price something, first we need to value it. How do you currently value your offer? Is it market-based pricing? Is it value-based pricing? Uh, how do you go about it? Outcome-based pricing. Okay, outcome-based. All right. So basically, <clears throat> okay, this is my principle. The, the principle thinking I had when I was uh, when I de decided on my pricing. Mm -hmm. I want people to treat this seriously. I want people to be able to see the outcome of and value it. We're hearing about it, all right, and they're gonna get the outcome because I made sure there's a Right, like set filtering process to make sure it's the right people with the right problem. Um, and there have been extensive research interview process done before I determine pricing in terms of asking them if these problems have been solved or did never did not exist at all. How much money do you think that actual blessing and actual opportunities and experience would have been equivalent to? And they told me numbers, basically I picked one of these and that, that is my current pricing. So it is a high ticket offer. Okay. Uh, hmm. It was a good approach. There is, <laughs> there are opportunities for improvement. All right. So I'll just tell you, right. So step sure. one of the nine step process uh, inside of the nine step, uh, what I'm calling right now, the expertise roadmap. Uh, Step one is a select segment. And we have an entire flow chart on how to do that. But part of it involves sending out what we call the audience survey system. Uh -huh. The audience survey system asks questions across the three areas that we help to improve the audience, the offer, as well as sales. Within the sales section of the survey we have like around I think like fourteen to eighteen questions or so, uh, but this what are the, there's a subsection within the sales section that I want to just give to you uh, because uh, you anyone could Google it right now uh, and they'd find this I think it's called the Western Door Pricing Survey, and if you also append Survey Monkey to that in your Google search, you're gonna see a nice visualization by Survey Monkey uh, and. This is from an economist like back at the 1970s who came up with this. It's also known as this price sensitivity analysis. But basically, you ask four questions. And what that allows you to do, you ask in a very specific order, but like just here's like the general phrasing of those questions. What price point is this too expensive that you'd never pay for it? At what price point does it become a good deal? At what price point 
does it start to become like an, an amazing deal? And at what price point does it become so cheap that you'd never consider it? Yeah. You would never consider it. Never so consider cheap it. that you would never consider Oh. Correct. And what that does is it gives you a price testing range. Now you know the upper limit that you shouldn't go above and you know the lower limit that you shouldn't go below. That's interesting. Okay. Yeah. And it works for any offer. There's other things. What makes it different, uh, but my addition to the field um, is that, yeah, those pricing questions are good. They're solid. Like Alex Hormozzi, you know, um, um, you know, author of $100 million offers, $100 million leads. He uses it every single time he goes into a new business as well. I've been using it for years as well. Um, but a limitation of it is that it doesn't assess the audience and the offer and other yeah. components of the sales systems. But if yeah. you ask questions now, if you have a high volume of responses, you can now segment in a very, very advanced way. For example, if you asked about, hey, what about these different offer formats? Like, do you want a group program? Do you want one-on-one? So on and so forth. Just imagine if you had that and then you could filter by price. That just gives you so much information. Um, but if you're planning to sell your existing products, as well as if you're planning to uh, sell or create new ones as well, which is a position that would be really good for you because it's like, oh, if they just told you the price range for the different formats that they're thinking about, and you also had like the questions that we asked like in the very first section, it also um, assesses the quality of the existing products and services that you've provided and then also find what future value that they might be wanting in the future as well. So it's like, if you have all of that, right? So let's say you ask them all of that and then they just tell you, you can then also ask that to people who haven't worked with you yet. Yeah. So subscribers on your email list and people who have already worked with you. And so now you have your buyers and leads giving you information and then you can compare the two segments. It's just really, really helpful to be able to do that. And that removes any guesswork from, am I charging the right price, wrong price, right. low price, high price? So Mark, can I ask you a follow-up question on that? Because sure. I've actually been thinking about offering a different offer. I don't mm -hmm. think I'm going to, in the short run, change the price of my current offer. It actually works pretty well. Nice. And when I say it works pretty well, I'm talking about the enrollment rate. It's like 70%, 70%. Okay. So I know it works. Um, I'd, it probably undercharge a little bit, but <laughs> let me finish with this question first. If it is 70%, right? Now thinking about it. Yeah, I'm glad you caught it because <laughs> I was about to tell you. <laughs> like, yeah, just, I, I'm like... like uh, well is relative. Uh, so sure. just a quick, quick thing on that and we'll get back to the question that you were sure. getting ready to ask. Uh, high conversion rates, high enrollment rates uh, can be very good, uh, but it's, it's, it's a fit between selection of the right audience that's along true. with the right offer and Very then true. also the right sales process yeah. as well. They all go into like effect. I agree. So my, just adding to that, I think that's totally a good point, a legit point. Um, 
before my enrollment rate used to be anywhere between 20 and 25%. That was up until 2021, 2022, 2021 actually. And then I really shifted message that attracted a different audience. Because my previous like enrollment calls could be crazy. Like you got people saying that, hey, I'm telling you this pricing and they're like, who do you want me to hurt? <laughs> Just kidding. I did hear crazy stories like that. Um, it didn't happen to me, I'm glad, but there are a lot of people, diverse, mm -hmm. intimate diversity that you have no control of. Um, then I really refined my messaging mm -hmm. to make sure that it only attracts and only speaks to a specific group of audience. So I'll give you an example. Instead of talking about things that you can have, right? If you have solved this problem, what's been the benefit of it? I started talking about feeling life being set back by this problem. Mm. You work really hard, right? You are a higher achiever. And because of this, you're not able to live the fullest potential. Yeah. So just one of examples. So that shifted the entire enrollment thing, enrollment mm -hmm. process. I'm not doing as many calls as I did before now. Okay. But the, I would say the process, prospects that come to my calls are pretty highly qualified. That's uh, excellent. Yes. The um, positioning shift makes sense to me. The psychology of it is very, very sound because you're speaking to people uh, who are motivated to make a change in and they their life, they're already now. ahead. Yeah. They want to make a change now. And there's also um, something I did in a lead generation mm -hmm. that helped as well. Before it was Facebook ads, yeah. right? So basically these people are passively receiving the information, they're scrolling, they watch the webinar or something. They're interested, they're coming. Now it's SEO. So mm. people who search for that keywords are those who are looking for the solution right now instead of tomorrow. Yes. yes. Right. So you are an SEO expert. You you know that difference. Mm -hmm. So this is this all have um, created a shift in enrollment rate, nice. conversion rate. Right. Now let me go back to the question regarding mm -hmm. um, surveying. I am considering doing a offer, a different offer. Uh, for for the same problem, but it's not going to be a full-fledged immersion program. It's probably going to be a lower ticket offer, right? That speaks to the same, very same problem, but the client experience is going to be a lot, very different. So let's say if I send a message out, I'm saying that, I say to my audience that, hey, I'm developing this new offer. I'd like to see what your thoughts are on, in terms of, right, the, 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 the pricing and format of it. Will there be cannibalization, cannibalization going on between mm. my current offer and this potential offer? Because now those people who were ought to be in the emerging offer, right? They're going to be, oh, let's wait and see mm. until she rolls out this much cheaper version of it. Because before they come to your call and know exactly what the offer, the high-end offer has to offer and the transformation that it's going to lead to, they have no clue. And they're pre comparing pretty much based on right data. What's your thought on that? 
without us finishing the earlier part of the conversation that we had started, it will be difficult to answer this question because it's ultimately differentiation of value between two offers. And it's yeah. something that comes up all the time. Uh, and though here's for, we need to do just a little bit of clarification of the value that's being provided for the existing offer and then a little bit of ideation on what the value would be for the other offer. And so I have a couple clarifying questions for you. Sure. Here's an ad lib. I help blank get blank in this amount of time. Fill in yep. that sentence. I help um, intelligent, driven women accomplish complete food freedom and get rid of the obsession towards food and weight while losing weight, right? And all those things set up and reset within less than 10 weeks. Okay. So cool. We have the timeline. Uh, we have the uh, communication to the ideal client. And we also have the promise as well. Yep. All right. Now let's make it shorter and sharper. You had descriptive language. Uh, I noticed that you did not share the uh, 50 pounds um, in that variation of it. Yeah. For the 10 week version of that value proposition. And that is on purpose, by the way. Okay. Tell me more. Well, in the past, when, because I tried to test the different copies, I said okay. add copies, right? Mm -hmm. Whenever I put the focus on a 50 pounds, I can mention it, but if I focus on it, then it's going to attract people who are mm -hmm. pretty heavy with a dieter's mentality and they just I want see. the best, the other diet that is going to get them the number. They're almost desperate. You see what I'm talking about? Yeah. Yeah, so yeah. I'm kind of uh, muting that a little bit. Yeah, you're disqualifying by, by doing it this way. Right. Yeah. Okay. Right. On my website, I keep that language because, well, those people who have got onto my website, they already have acknowledged that they have a food addiction issue based on the content as EO mm -hmm. or advertising, right? So when they come to my website, 50 pounds of weight loss is just an added benefit. They actually don't care as much. Okay but they want the habit freedom. Give me the statement one more time. Sure. I have highly intelligent and driven women rewire, reset on their food that, no, let me go try this again. Yeah, go for it. I, I, I help highly intelligent and driven women remove the obsession towards weight and food so that they can have a life where they no that's not what i said at the beginning but basically it's, it's <laughs> it it's, is it's about a getting different it, it's about getting fit without that burden and you're just getting fit organically while having unbridled food freedom okay. within 10 weeks so what if we just this is something you test I help mm -hmm. intelligent women mm -hmm. 
have habit-free. Uh, and there was another key phrase that you said in there. Food, um, food obsession? Food freedom. Food freedom, yes. I help intelligent women <clears throat> yeah. have habit-free food freedom. Love it. It's like, it's like we just like get it a lot shorter, a lot yeah. crisper, a lot tighter, and then we yeah. use that to like start playing around as like one of the lead positionings, which you could roll out, you know, Facebook ads, Google ads, yeah. what, you know, SEO, whatever the kid, articles, and test it on sales calls, enrollment calls, um, just uh, email subject lines everywhere to see how it resonates and split test it against what you've been using before in any of those channels uh, to then see what gets more clicks. And then the further testing of that is then when from that cohort of testing to see if it still attracts the same quality of candidates to get onto calls so that you know that there isn't a drop in the ratio of the right fit candidates that come right. into your program, onto your calls and stuff like that. That's how we then make sure that, all right, we have this higher converting positioning, messaging that you can use everywhere. And it's still, it's getting the quantity of people you want and the quality of people that yeah. you want. Yeah. Yeah. How about say like, because this is what I've been saying multiple places, getting the head turning body while enjoying unbridled food freedom. Mm, that's good. Okay. Head turning body while during unbridled food freedom. Do they use the word unbridled? Does that resonate with that? Yeah. Unlimited, okay. um, unbridled. Yeah. Okay. All right. So, so if that's, if that's testing well, then I would test those two against each other, okay. you know, head turning versus, yeah. you know, habit free food freedom. Yeah. There might even be a third variant in there where you try to combine yeah. uh, all of those concepts. Yeah. That would be very much worth uh, testing. I know we kind of yeah. went down a little bit of like the sales <laughs> uh, into the sales um, portion of the system, but I want to also circle back into the offer uh, and building the capacity of the offer. Yeah. So. Actually, so the positioning is actually helpful for us doing that too, right? So if we know that that's who we're helping, that's how we're helping, that's what we're helping them with, then for increasing the capacity of it, um, I would want you to model something that has the capacity of like at least like 25 or 50 new people per month. Like that's, uh, I don't know if you remember Zach Arnold, um, but if you if you go, do you do you? Do? I think I do. Yes. All right. Awesome. So, by the time this your episode airs, his episode should be out. And one of the cool things from that episode is him building a one point one million dollar coaching business from a list of five thousand people. What? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> one, one, what, one, one plus one. What is by that? Oh, one million one hundred thousand dollars. I know. I know. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, it's it's an incredible Wait, result. Wait, is, is it the guy that I remember? <laughs> Let me just quickly check. Yeah, you go on my website and you go to the results page. He's right there. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And so... <laughs> I Yes, we were in the same yep. group before. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> and yeah. Wow, well done. So one of the things, yeah, he really yeah. is. He's he's a fantastic guy. And one of the things that he and I worked on extensively together was building a scalable group coaching program. Because okay. like you, he was very like he would extremely important to have a high level of transformation for everybody because yeah. he deeply cares about everybody that comes into the program. And while it's not the health niche, I know that it can be done because I am a precision nutrition graduate. Yeah. And I know that just in like there's, you know, I don't, I, last time I checked, like, you know, I still as an alumni of like, you know, the certification, like just the sure. alumni group has like over 60,000 people in it. Yeah. And, Remind me, what his offer is? Uh, Zach? <laughs> yes. <Yeah. laughs> oh, um, I, <laughs> well, there's, there's a few things, but the general niche is he's helping you know, people find, you know, a bit of their, their dream job Down, in yeah. Hollywood. Oh. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So, the, but there's, there's way more. That's an oversimplification of it. Mm -hmm. uh, but all that's to say is it's possible to develop metrics, success metrics, and all the things and everything. And it's very possible. There's... Uh, I heard everything that you're sharing around the structure of the program earlier. Yes, some of those touch points could be removed. Yes, you could reduce the amount of time that is spent within those yeah. touch points. Yes, some of those touch points could be converted from one-on-one -on -one touch points to group touch points. Yeah. Um, and having like a limit on the amount of people in there. Some of the earlier touch points, there's touch points you haven't even mentioned yet that I know that probably exist within your program that could be converted to like a 25 per person per, per call touch point. Uh -huh. you know and there's you're talking about live calls yeah the weekly yeah like there's there's i know it because i've done it <laughs> you know what you know i know you've done it and you, i think part of it this is also something i wanted to discuss with you today mike is i think part of that is me holding on to the reins so tightly right because i don't want to allow any mistake I wanted to make sure it's like it's a perfection mindset that is holding me back. And when I was thinking about the uh, preliminary statement that I made in terms of not sacrificing the experience, the question is who says that's going to separate uh, compromise experience of the client? Exactly. Maybe they would actually enjoy it better. No, so it's we're uh, yes. assumptions, right? Yes. That right there is the key word. I was about to say you got me, you beat me to it. Assumptions. One, being able to recognize what the assumptions are and then being able to test the assumptions. Yeah. And also de-risk the testing of it. And I actually yeah. want to respectfully disagree with you on one thing <laughs> okay. about the whole perfectionism thing. I don't think that's bad. Like, it is part of what has allowed yeah. you to create a high-quality program. And I wouldn't call it perfectionism Maybe it is. I'm not a psychologist, but 
there's nothing wrong with having yeah. high quality standards. I agree. I revised, remember it back in 2017 when we first met each other? Mm-hmm. No, 2016. That was like a second version. And now there have been 12 different versions. Just to get to that point where I'm confident this is the journey that takes them every step of the way, mm-hmm. one milestone at one time. So there has been a lot of thinking and um, fine-tuning in place, and that was driven by wanting to be. Honestly, I consider myself at a leading spot of the industry in what I'm doing. So I wanted to honor that. Mm-hmm. And plus that I've been shifting up a lot in terms of my audience group, right? And I want to make sure that this thing is not failing the expectation of people who have per- perfection mindset for themselves. So everything has to match up. Guess what? You select those people. Yeah. Which means you could also select people who don't necessarily have a perfection mindset and or you could also guide them to a different place, which you have already been doing. You are the facilitator. You are the creator. You are the guider. You provide guidance. And so if you can dream it up, you can invite people to it. If you can ideate a higher capacity program, you can invite people to it. You can design the client experience. You can test Mm -hmm. it. You can get the data points. You've done it before. You could do it again. It's a new environment, but you have what it takes. Yeah. So one more question I have regarding surveying. Mm-hmm. I remember we first talked about surveying your audience when we were still back in 2016, 2017. I heard you talking about it a lot, right? And I, I really like that idea. Mm-hmm. But then when it comes to survey outcomes, there are two things that I actually have as the major concerns. First is the how big the sample pool needs to be. Because if you're segregating, if you have an email list of 10,000 people, with the email consistent over average open open rate of 30%, that's already considered high in my industry. Okay. okay then that's like 3,000 people. Then you segment it. You don't, you don't necessarily send emails to all of them, but you segment it and you ask different questions. Then that's going to further split the groups. So the question is how big of the sample pool for each kind of survey will be considered valid enough for the outcome to be actually taken seriously? That's the first question. Good question. So when it comes to qualitative surveys, uh, you're going to see convergence of data, generally somewhere between 100 to 200 survey replies. Even if you have 10,000, 20,000, 50,000, like if it was just quantitative, then all right, we could go for a statistical significance, all that sort of stuff. But when it comes to qualitative and being able to find patterns in the data, um, Mm -hmm. if the having more than 200 doesn't really change things for product and service offer research. Different if the goal is sales development, needs analysis for sales development, sales enrollment, sales enablement. But if what we're trying to do is learn about your audience, we generally don't need more than 100 to 200. That said, it can be done with as few as 50. I've seen it. Um, I have a, a lot of data points with regards to that. And Zach, uh, yeah. since you know, um, he got 96 survey replies in one week. 
96. Okay. And eight weeks later, that turned into $37,000. Eight months later, that turned into 200000 in additional revenue. Okay. That's pretty powerful to know. Because whenever we talked about survey, I was thinking about at least, like you have a sample size of 2,000 responses. Um, the other question I have regarding survey response mm -hmm. is that in terms of an individual response, right, how much trust we should actually give into it? The reason why I'm asking is, I don't know if I've shared with you, but before launching, that was many, many years ago, I went through this you know it, it's called immersion, right? It's an immersion phase. Yes. Where you interview people and you ask them, would you pay for it? How much would you pay for it, right? And what I ended up finding out is that sometimes the people who say that I will pay, I'll pay $500 for it, they don't buy. Mm. And so I come to realize that what they say does not matter all the time compared <laughs> to what they do. And those who say that, oh, I'd like it to be, I, I can buy, I will, I'll be more than willing to buy at $1,000, right? And they will come to you saying that you offer discount. Can we do 500? So that gave me uh, the question, how much, how serious should we be for individual questions? There's a couple variables here to pay super close attention to. The first is the quality of the questions that are being asked inside yeah. of the survey or interview format, uh, then uh, the audience that you're asking the questions to, uh, and then uh, the how long you take to then make the offer afterwards, yeah. and then yep. the quality of the sales process as well. That's, a, that's quite a bit, so let me narrow it down for you. Right even with how you described how you were asking the questions. For example, earlier on in this con conversation, we spoke about the four uh, pricing questions that you can ask. Even just asking those questions in that specific order yields a higher quality answer. Yeah, I see. And with the surveys that I, I've sent out and everything that I've seen uh, with everybody that I've tested, in some cases, people pay less than what they said that they were going to pay. However, in many cases, they pay more. Uh-huh. And consistently so. So it evens out. More than evens out, actually. So, for example, for another client, um, the survey said that they were willing to pay like 27000 They ended up paying 30000 um, but that was just from the people who responded to the survey. Your email list is much bigger than the number of people who respond to it. And so there's a lot more revenue. It's like if, if you get 5% of people to respond or even 2%, like, and like they're giving you a five-figure return from 1% to 2% of your email list, how much more money is in there a lot, which is why Zach 1.1 million. That's how that kind of outcome starts to come. But of course, offers and there's all these other things, capacity and everything, which we're having that ongoing conversation. You know, but it's the long uh -huh. 
the shorter answer to your original question is if with good question structure and selection of the audience, you can give a heavy weight to the survey responses, the answers that you've gotten, if you had the right quantity. And right quantity here in this case, uh, we have the survey benchmarks um, spreadsheet. And the thing that I have in there is like less than 40 people responding, mm, get more. Uh, but if you've got like 40 to 100 or so, like you're good. Uh, and okay. over that, great, basically. Okay. Now back to what you just said, because I've been taking notes. Awesome. <laughs> so you mentioned about modeling the larger groups, right, with 25 new members per week. Per month, I would say, for the start. Per month. Out of curiosity, is there a specific reason for 25? Or is it just the level of, in terms of size? So beyond 25, um, 25 is like a small workshop. It's an intimate workshop, just like translated to being in person. Like how many people could you realistically work with in tandem while maintaining intimacy in the group? Yeah. Because as you shared earlier, the experience is really important. And the experience is often a proxy for when it comes to the experience for something like this, what we're really thinking about is intimacy. Intimacy, you know, authentic connection between, you know, the creator of the program, you know, the facilitator and the participant. There is also intimacy within a group, a shared group of people who are aligned based on values, who have their eyes set upon a shared goal. Yeah. It's a small community. Yeah which can then help, you know, the rising tide raises all boats. And so you can still have that with like a group of 25 where it's like everybody knows everybody's. So what I'm reading from you here is that you're basically telling me to set the next bar being 25 per group and test that to see what is going to be the dynamic like whether it is really compromising the human touch point and you're bet you're betting on no right not not going to compromise it at all yeah you care too much okay <laughs> like yeah, there's no way you're going to allow these people to not feel cared for <laughs> so i don't have that, any that, doubt that's a good point what was one more question i have to for you i have for you okay so we talk about building capacity. Mm-hmm. I also have questions regarding um, building lead, the lead flow. That's a secondary question because I'm not like, at this point, I'm not too aggressively thinking about incl- in, in, in increasing the lead flow yet, but it's going to happen. And, and I know it's going to happen at some point. So... This is my experience. SEO is giving me a good steady flow. Mm-hmm. And at this point, it's like five per month. Very good client. Okay. If I am to increase 
my lead flow, I can't say that, let me just increase my SEO effort. I'm going to get more because SEO doesn't work like that. Right. What would you think will be the best approach to it? To, it doesn't sound like you're actually interested in including, uh, well, let me clarify. Let me ask a clarifying question. You said five new clients per month. Are you talking, you're enrolling five new clients per yeah. month or five potential like my high quality. Okay. So you're enrolling five new clients per month. Uh, yes. Uh, SEO isn't always linear, um, mm -hmm. except when it is. Uh, and the SEO game right now with just even AI is also changing again. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. I've been pitched by multiple people with the SEO offer with AI element in it. For instance, AI content creation, AI link building, um, yeah. Yeah, that's that's a that's a whole other. We we may have to have like a whole other podcast on that <laughs> sure. one. But what I can say with regards to, I'll just give you a, a seed of an idea uh, with regards to audience growth. There are once you have built the capacity for twenty five per cohort or twenty five per month, uh, whichever. Uh, there are, I'll just tell you this. So I have another, I have a friend of mine, um, I shall not disclose their identity. They have not consented to that, but they have a $0 client acquisition cost for 25 clients per month. Did you and Jay Abraham talk about it in your podcast? That episode? We, we did not. We did not. We did not. Uh, this is this is someone that I I have never mentioned by name uh, okay. on the podcast intentionally. Okay. Uh, so, but here's here's the general. I did write an email about it actually, and so if anyone needs a reason to join my email list, I guess that would be one. But the general approach is there are strategic partners who would benefit yeah. from giving you clients for free. I love the free part. <laughs> it, it, I, I know it sounds wild, right? You're, you're doing all this SEO stuff and you're running the paid ads and everything like that. Um, but yeah, that is... It's it's not really a strategy that people talk about because it's like, how do you even begin to talk about it? It's usually very custom to each person, but just know that there is probably a business entity or someone who would love to send people your way for free. I actually been thinking about it. Okay. Okay. So what I'm contemplating, I'm planning right now, is to start with working with corporations. Okay. It can be workshop, right? It can be yeah. online seminars, whatever it is. So I already had this idea for you. So this is great. I'm glad that you've been thinking about this. Uh, and basically, here's what I'll just I'll just be directive uh, with yeah. this advice and less uh, coaching. Um, build the program. Make sure it's high quality, high efficacy. It has the capacity that we spoke about. 
And then it's like, yes, you can continue with the B2C marketing approach uh, business to consumer, uh, but there's an entire B2B market out there as well where they would just fill like your uh, programs. And it's like, instead of having, trying to sell one person at a time, if you sell one organization at a time, they potentially send you 25 people per month for a year. It's a different kind of game. Yeah, and I kind of know who to reach out to to be the middleman. <laughs> it's like, you know, it's like you, 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 you do that. And with one, one signature, one negotiation, right. you have just handled the client acquisition for the year. Yeah. And you now have, what, 300 new clients yeah. coming in for the year. Now I have to think about what is the version to give to the corporations. Because it might not be the 10-week version. That's fine. But cross that bridge when you get there. First, build the capacity of being able to handle 25 per cohort or 25 per month. Yeah. Capacity comes before um, the scaling of the lead generation efforts, right? I think so. If you're doing B2C, I would say they happen in tandem, in parallel. Yeah. But if you were doing a B2B play, you need to actually build the capacity first. It's not something people talk about. Absolutely. Because they are not going to, they're not going to trust you if you can't handle the capacity. And I I love that because they don't, if they don't know you before, Right. Mm-hmm. You you kind of when you pitch them, you kind of need to answer all the questions they yeah. might have already, yeah. and also mitigate the, all the risks they might exactly want for them to even consider talking yeah. to you. Absolutely. Wonderful. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't have any other questions now. I think I got a pretty clarity, pretty good uh, clarity in terms good. of what's going to be the next step. And the first step is bumping up onto twenty five. Yeah. Per month. I, I love this. I love this. I was going to say per 10 weeks. So it's going to be per cohort, but I'm like, okay, I know I've been overcaring. <laughs> so what about just challenge, right? And challenge myself and bumping up to a higher level by 25. I give you one advanced um, mm-hmm. strategy for being able to more accurately track the quality of the client experience in a, to convert the qualitative into the quantitative. This is essential for a scalable group program. Sure. Maybe you already do it, but the thing that you are measuring, the macro metric that you're measuring when it comes to client experience is emotional change. Absolutely. Before and mm-hmm. after and during. And so if you have in your intake form and your outtake form measurement of the experience in a quantified way, yeah. then, cool. It sounds like you may already have that, do you? I have questions on emotional experience, emotions-related experience in terms of where you are emotionally uh, but I don't. I, I ask them in a way that if you're invited to, like, join a high school reunion right now, 
what's your thoughts on that? How, how likely do you feel like excited to accept it? Right. Mm -hmm. So stuff like that, but I don't know if it is quantified in the best way possible. I got you. Because when it comes to this, it's, it's a little subjective, right? It is, and as every experience is, by definition, it's subjective. That said, it doesn't mean that it can't be measured. I'm going to give you just so most people know me on the survey side of things for, you know, things that happen before people buy either research or like sales development. They don't know that I also have a whole set of like survey things that we do when we're increasing the capacity of a program. And here's one of the things. What do you ask them why they signed up? What challenge or opportunity? Yeah. Great. Now you ask them what, what emotion they're feeling about that. Then they're going to name the emotion. Yeah. Now, how intensely do you feel that? Now you get the quantity. Yeah. One, two, three, four, five, or whatever the case may be. Then sure. you've now defined the quality and now you know the quantity. And so then at the midpoint or the end point, you can ax it again to now have a clear before and after. Yeah. That is essential for the evaluation and ongoing tracking of success for any yeah. scalable group program. Yeah. Emotions. Yes. Yeah. I have another question. We only get like two more. Okay. <laughs> you know what? I'll save it for the next time then. Cause it's probably gonna start a whole different conversation. Um, but before I, before I conclude today, before we conclude today, let me, let me ask you one more question. I think that's, that one is simpler. All right. What is the industry average as far as you know, for a transformation, transfer, uh, for a transformational coaching program like this, what has been the industry average of, in terms of success rate? And when I say success, I'm talking about a client getting where they want to be. Ah, oh, geez. Yeah. Too many variables. Here's why. Yeah. Uh, you'd have to, similar to, it, it's the same issue as like, if you're trying to find out what the average is for like email open rates, um, you've got to like basically segment down by the different industries. Sure. You know, it's like, what what is the transformational, you know, success rate for programs uh, in health or like career or yeah. business? And then you also have to do it by... There's all these different dimensions. Um, yeah. So let's say mental health and, and health in general. Yeah. People don't report on the numbers. That's true. So I guess yeah. there's a limitation on that for, yeah. for data collection. What you can do, though, is um, there's different kinds of benchmarks. There's external benchmarks, which is what we're talking about here right now, there's also internal. Yeah. And so you have most likely an established internal baseline of success. Yeah. And if you're like most people, you want to maintain and or increase that yeah. baseline. And so 
you are the success benchmark in that sense. You're trying to beat your personal best as if you yeah. were in the gym or something like that. Yep. Absolutely. The reason why I'm asking is because I do have this currently. Okay, this has a lot to do with scaling and capacity here. Um, I have currently have the commitment saying that if for any reason you're not getting results, you're not getting the success, I'm here to work with you one-on-one to get it. Uh, okay. It fortunately so far, like it's been three years since I offered that. And I remind them that there is this option. But since I'm so great at handpicking who I work with, and they all get great results, I haven't got anybody coming back to me for this yet. But when I'm letting in more people and I'm, I'm handpicking less, then there might be different. So... Is this redundant? Is it unnecessary to promise that? If I'm, what I'm saying is, if the average success rate or even follow through rate of the program in the entire industry is like let's say thirty percent, and mine is like ninety five percent, it's already good enough. Yeah. Way better than right. So should we just ignore this going forward? It is a multivariate question. Here's some of the things. One, there's your philosophical values as far as like why you want to have that guarantee and stuff in place. And also, there's how it affects your business metrics as well. And typically, if you're looking at it, the function of a guarantee purely for the purpose of sales, it is risk reversal to then increase enrollment rates. Yeah. That's typically what the purpose of a guarantee is there to do. However, that is now assuming that your people need risk reversal. They don't. They never ask about it. Yeah. So then it just might not matter. Okay. And just like that, boom, we will challenge every assumption. And we're just going to. I feel design. like I need to make a list of all the assumptions I'm making that are holding me back potentially for scaling. The thing that I tell people, that I've told people for years, is the most talented neurosurgeon can't operate on their own brain. It's hard. Yeah. I work with neuroscientists and psychiatrists. Perfect. <laughs> and they're like, wow, I'm doing like a brain scan myself. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes they, they do make that comment like uh, during our, our weekly calls. And I, I'm like, yeah, exactly what you just said. You can't treat yourself. Yeah. Trust me, I have also worked with neurosurgeons. Yeah, <laughs> 1,000% uh, yeah. resonate. I have a couple questions for you before we close. Absolutely. Up. I'm ready. We spoke about a lot yeah. today. What are some of your top takeaways? Gosh. <laughs> Do I have to choose one only or? Oh, please. There... Go for it. Okay. Yeah. First of all, assumptions that we talked about, right? The mm. major di distinction. Um, probably overcaring probably worrying too much, probably thinking too much. So that's number one. Two is that, in line with that, right? 25%, no, 25 uh, should be the next milestone to look mm -hmm. for when it comes to the size of the, not cohort, but monthly enrollment. Mm -hmm. Two, I, I believe, I believe in what you said. Uh, I believe there is a way to to still maintain the balance at that number because it's not an extravagantly large number, right? Yeah. And the third thing is about surveying. It's 
I think one of the biggest, I wouldn't call it roadblocks, but something that was holding me back from doing all the surveying thing meticulously, which is actually needed for the business to scale, right? Is first of all, I had some certain bias against the data, given the experience I've shared. Mm -hmm. Two is that I felt like, you know, whatever you are collecting, it's, if it is less than a thousand, it would not be significant at all. But I think you explained it pretty well, right? Um, and also lots of the other thoughts in terms of how to scale the, the lead generation part, right? The B2C, B2B pretty much confirmed my idea and I loved it. So capacity has to go, something you just said, capacity has to go hand in hand with, well, sales and lead generation, uh, when it comes to scaling, right? For B2C, but for B2B, absolutely, capacity has to come first before even making a pitch. Absolutely. So everything we talked about is highly relevant to this question I had in mind before coming in. And uh, I think it's pretty clear what is the next step to go. What step is that one, except... bumping yeah. up to 25. <laughs> there we go. Bumping up to 25. Yes. Right. And then this. the second thing I would do is to start testing, start surveying mm -hmm. my list and to see what might be the next product idea and go. price range for that. So there is also a chance that I don't need to do much about my current program mm -hmm. while, right, but I can start a different offer for yes. a different value proposition mm -hmm. and scale in a different way. So there are so many possibilities here. Love it. Love it. Uh, if you could go back in time yeah. to Leslie of 2016. Gosh, that's a tough one. Yeah. <gasps> what advice would you give yourself knowing everything you know now? Yeah. So earlier. <laughs> sell, sell earlier. Stop, stop, stop. I mean, immersion took me six months. Mm. Well, I was able to start uh, accumulating and letting clients at a time, but it's still like at the later stage of it. So I think I was still like holding back a little bit because it was the, uh, it's, it's, it's out of my comfort zone to go out and tell people that this is the offer. But right now, what I've realized is that, you know what, Mark, the moment that you and I are living right now, and we which we consider as the basic thing, for instance, the health, the ability to move wherever we want to, right, being able to be free and carefree and satisfied when eating whatever we want and just go tango afterwards, it's already a dream. It's actually mm -hmm. a dream of millions of people, tens yes. of millions of them, right? Mm -hmm. And they don't know if there's a solution. Mm -hmm. Some of them already lost trust, lost the belief that these kind of things can be fixed. Yes. But if you just go out and tell them there is no option, there's a solution, that alone already right, helped them a lot. Yes. So when I say you should start selling early, like I should have, that, that 2016, Leslie Chen should have started selling earlier. That's what I meant. You should just go out and stand up in front of those people and say that, hey, there is a solution. But now it's up to you whether you want to take it or not. This is the solution. Mm, love it. I have a follow-up question to that. Absolutely. 
if we could go forward in time uh-huh. <laughs> by like five okay. years, what yeah. do you think Leslie in the future would come back to tell you right now? Hmm. Uh, you've done everything right. <laughs> you've done everything right. You've, you've taken all the lessons and uh, you've t- taken all the steps. And uh, yeah, definitely no criticism. Mm. So I have a counter potential oh. alternate <laughs> reality. Okay. View. Love it. Go ahead. Current Leslie told past Leslie, mm. sell faster. I wonder if future Leslie would tell current Leslie, sell build, build faster. Oh, could be. It could be, yes. Maybe. Well, yeah, talking about that Arnold, right? <laughs> we were in the same group. And actually, I've been through uh, a number of business masterminds in the past few years. And I've seen people doing that a lot. You know, some, pe- some people are like, oh, we're making like multi-million, multi-seven-figure this year. Uh, and two years ago, I was like only making like $60,000 per year. I've seen that a lot. But every time when I look at that, like those success examples, like these stories, I didn't feel they were that relatable. Mm. They, they were that relevant to me. Not because they are unreachable. It's more about I'm kind of the kind of person who believe in building the core. Mm. I don't know if you're familiar with horseback riding. Not too much. Okay. So when you're riding a horse, a lot of people mistakenly think that when you're holding a rein, that's your security. Mm. That you're using the rein to kind of secure yourself. If something happens, you just make sure that you're holding it and you won't fall. Yeah. It's not even like that. The rein is like for you to steer, just like the steering wheel on the car. You are not using your hand to secure anything. You use what? Your core muscle. I see. Your feet, right? So when you have mastered really good core foundation, what happens is that no matter what happens, the horse might spook, right? Might like, what is the right word? The jump, whatever. You're not going to have to worry too much about being your head and thinking about what is the remedy at that point. All you need to do is to hold on to your core. Mm. And when a core is there, you know, when timing, when it's the time, right timing, things are going to grow really fast. That's, that's my subconscious belief. So, uh, yeah. That's, it's, it's, it's very, it's a great belief. So that removes a lot of stress and anxiety already. So I, I want to add something to that. Yeah. Whatever pace you want to move out with building your business is fine. Yeah. Like if you want to have a, if you, you don't have to grow the business any bigger than it is right now. Only if you. I kind of have to. to. Okay. All right. I kind of well, have to for a reason. Okay. Because I, I believe, I firmly believe that more people deserve to have it. Okay. More people deserve to have this kind of freedom and satisfaction in the house. So that's a great reason. So then it becomes a question of not if, but how fast. 
you can also grow it at whatever speed you want. You know, Mark, this is a very good question. I thought about it. You know, and I think it boils down to the fundamental question is of how do you define growth? If we're talking about revenue growth, right, to grow into uh, a figure business, it's probably not that difficult, to be honest. You sign up some corporate clients that we talked about. Not some, probably like 50 to 100, right? And then you publish a book and that is going to make you recurring income, right? And then you develop a few informational products, right? So there are ways to do it. But I kind of want to do it in a way that the business is scaling for sure. And also everybody who experienced whatever I sell to them will remember the name of the company or the name of the program or my name because the, the influence is so deep. Hmm. So if that's the case, then, um, yeah, um, it sounds like you're very impact-driven, which is great. Um, that tends to be the kind of person who is uh, on this podcast uh, and also the person who listens to this podcast. And if that's the case, then it's just then the, when we talk about growth rate, it's just growth rate as an impact. It's not entirely that. I think these okay. two things are a little intertwined because I also want to get to the place in terms of financially, that quadrant, right? When I say, okay, Risling wants to uh, test a new thing. Mm. For instance, I want to start a yoga and meditation center just for food addiction and emotional eating. And I think this is going to be in great com uh, demand in the country because about America has 70 to 80 million people right, being affected by this one thing. And it's not picked up at all. It's not spoken enough. So what I have the idea, right? But Risley needs to have enough financial backing to bootstrap that. So I want to make sure that it has it reaches a place where I have the liberty to test whatever I want to do in this field. It's already done. Here's what I mean by that. Not that your specific idea has been done in that I have a friend who's doing that right now in her niche. Like she started online, da 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 okay, made millions, everything and, yeah. and stuff and is now funding that. And so all that's to say is that it's a proven model. And so reason why I say that is that while it's an idea for you right now, if it's really important to you, then you can actually move in that very, very fast. And the faster you get to that is the more people that you're able to impact in a very, very yeah. deep way. And yeah. the, the profits and everything from the business and facilitate that. We're just about at time, but I want to, yeah, I want to leave you, uh, this, uh, you're already an ambitious person uh, and don't, I don't think you need to let go of what you perceive as perfectionism. Uh -huh. You just actually need to use it yeah. for one of the gifts that you, that like your eye for being able to see quality is one of your gifts, one of your assets. It's not something for you to look down on or throw to the side or think yeah. that it's something to create. It's one of the best things that you've got going for you. Yeah. But you just need to 
direct it and channel it onto the right thing. Because if you take the focus and you put it and say, okay, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to be hyper-focused on getting this capacity thing, then you're going to do it. Yeah. And then you just continue to do that same thing. If you want to build the profits and then also the impact and everything for you to be able to then, you know, create this center that will then be able to impact people in person, then you'll do it. And so don't, I would say, don't let go of that. Keep that. Yeah. Use it. Amplify it. Absolutely. Where can we find out more about you? You're very welcome. Oh, where can you find more about me? You can go onto my website, www.riselean, and for Nancy, .com. You can find me on LinkedIn, um, linkedin.com slash IN slash Leslie L. Chen. You can find me on TikTok if you just put in a handle, which is at Riseling. Um, these are the main three main er- uh, places where you can find me. Excellent. Ladies and gentlemen, Leslie Chen. Hey, thanks for checking out the show. If you liked it, go ahead and hit the like button and also subscribe so you don't miss another one. It also tells us which ones that you like the most so that we can then do more interviews like that. If you want to go from idea to implementation, though, especially if you're wanting to productize your expertise so that you can scale your impact on your clients and of course grow your business, then join our email list. There we're gonna talk about how modern consultants can productize their expertise so that they can have a greater impact on the world around them and live life on their terms. If that's up your alley, I hope to see you on the other side. Talk soon.